Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend... MetLife Stadium for you guys. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, we're going to be joined by Jeff Lloyd of the Locked On Browns podcast, longtime friend of the uh, Turn on the Jets podcast family. Uh, we're going to talk everything Cleveland Jets and getting you prepared for Week 2 Monday Night Football. Both the Jets and Browns coming in at 0-1, so a big game for both sides. We are recording again in the Vivid Seats studio, as we were throughout our entire season preview uh, podcast series, which is still relevant to check out, even one game into the year. Uh, and want to remind you that you get 10% off if you use promo code OVERTIME using the Vivid Seats mobile app up to $100 for first-time users. That's promo code OVERTIME. Uh, Before we get into our interview with Jeff, which like most of our interviews will run 21, 22 minutes, a couple quick thoughts on Jets' bills and the start to the season. So I went to Jets' bills. First game I've been to in a while. I didn't get to go to any last year with a kid being born during week two and, you know, those early months of uh, being a father. Uh, so it was good to go back out to the stadium. I thought, based on what I've seen in recent years and the team's level of success, it was a pretty good crowd. The stadium was pretty filled up, maybe about 20% Buffalo fans, which is pretty standard. Uh, I think it's going to be a much heavier tilt when they play Dallas, when they play Miami even, when they play Oakland, uh, when they play the Giants. will be interesting to see, depending on the success of those two teams. But overall, not... Um, not a terrible crowd. I've seen some rough ones in recent years, which look, you, the crowd's not going to get better until the team wins more. I mean, they're 14 and 34, 14 and 35 now the past three plus years. So they, they got to win more games to get a better crowd. Uh, I think overall, just a brutal loss. Uh, you can't be up 16 nothing against that Buffalo offense with that quarterback and lose the game, no matter what the excuse is, no matter where you want to put the blame. It looked like this was going to be an ugly win, but a win nonetheless, and you treat it as a teachable loss and you go forward from there. But as we talked about prior to the game kicking off, this was one the Jets desperately needed with their upcoming schedule. And now you have a situation where you have Cleveland at home, and Cleveland certainly looks beatable after what they did week one, getting slaughtered by Tennessee. But after that, you're at New England, who looks like far and away the best team in the league right now, and then at Philly, who's a legitimate Super Super Bowl contender themselves, and playing in Philadelphia is never an easy thing. So you need to find a way to beat Cleveland, or you're 
potentially looking at an 0-4 start. And to deal with that for a new head coach and a new regime overall is a, is a really tough way to come out of the gate, especially with Adam Gase's history in Miami and his personality and you know how unsuccessful he's been the past two years in Miami. You know This is a guy who was 13 and 19 over the past two years before coming here. At some point, you've got to win some football games. And I think what was frustrating is that Gase's game plan really left a lot to be desired. This was dink and duck, overly safe, regularly throwing in front of the marker on third down. And I understand the Jets have offensive line problems, but how about a screen to Le'Veon Bell? How about a wheel route to Le'Veon Bell? How about getting him in the slot? How about getting Sam on a rollout, getting him outside of the pocket? No innovation, no creativity, just option route after option route to Jamison Crowder, who played really well, but Buffalo was more than happy to give that to the Jets. You know, Jamison Crowder, you could have 14 catches for 90 yards as long as nobody else is really going to do anything to hurt us. And, you know, it certainly wasn't Sam Darnold's best effort. It certainly wasn't Robbie Anderson or Quincy Inouye's best effort. Uh, But offensively, I think we all had high expectations for this unit. So to go out and put up eight points is disappointing. And, you know, the defense, despite fading late, Forced four turnovers and only allowed one or two touchdowns, uh, so it's hard to get on them too much. We know about the kicking situation. I don't really know what there is to say about it right now, except it's going to be a headache, unfortunately, for the rest of the year. And Adam Gase is a guy who historically plays a lot of close games, so that is alarming, to say the least. But this offense and Sam Darn's development is what's more important than anything else right now, and it looked like a step back for Darnold based on what we saw from him against Green Bay and Houston last year. And Buffalo has a good defense. I understand that. But Darnold's supposed to be getting better. And you got to see that yards per attempt higher than 4.3. And you got to see him hitting on opportunities down the field when they're there. And Adam Gase has got to be better as a play caller. Uh, You know, there's a lot of hype around what he is as an offensive genius or mastermind. And he actually has to deliver on that. Or the Jets are going to really go under their expectations this year and not even get to the seven or eight wins that most people thought they were capable of achieving. So really frustrating start to the season. Uh, the Jets have been very active uh, since then. Quincy Inouye, season-ending neck injury. Uh, really a shame. You know, no, no secret that we're big fans of Quincy here and honestly got to put health above everything else. I don't know if he's someone who's going to continue playing after two neck injuries in three years. Uh, The Jets replaced him by trading a six-round pick in 2021 for Demarius Thomas. Demarius Thomas, always been a big fan of his game. A little wary that the Patriots are willing to trade him to the Jets. I'm trying to really temper my expectations for him, but at a minimum, he will fill in for Quincy Inouye and hopefully be a capable possession receiver for Sam Darnold, at least for the rest of the year, before the Jets do some more long-term work to their group of receivers. They switched kickers, and we got Thicken here now, a guy with limited NFL experience. Hard to evaluate what we're going to see from him until we see him on Monday night when it counts. Uh, And you got to test the Adam Gase press conference, which, you know, Gase is going to get hard questions until he wins more football games. And, you know, this team is going to get criticized until they win more. So, you know, don't start the year off 0-2 at home. You know, find a way to beat a beatable Cleveland team who may have more talent than you on paper but is still putting things together right now. And don't get out coached by Freddie Kitchens like you did by Sean McDermott. And hopefully the Jets could get to 1-1, which is a spot that most of us thought they'd probably be after their first two games. And we are now joined by this week's guest. He is the host of Locked on Browns and a longtime friend of the uh, Turn on the Jets podcast family, Jeff Lloyd. Jeff, how you doing? Thank you for joining us. 
Uh, you know, look, uh, just, you know, it's week one in the books and, you know, it's nothing goes faster. The NFL season. Um, and, you know, obviously the way we, I think it's a lot of it probably has to do with the way Thursday night games were implemented in. It just seems like, you, you know, you never really take a break. And, you know, for guys like us, this is fantastic. We're not looking to find content. We got plenty. And it's almost just trying to find out what doesn't, you know, what essentially falls on the cutting room floor, so to speak. Absolutely. It is kind of crazy once we get in this weekly churn, how it just, how it just rips by. So I was at the Jets-Bills game, uh, enjoying them blowing a, a 16-point second-half lead. So I was only able to uh, loosely follow what was going on in Cleveland. You know, I was you know, seeing a highlight here or there, tracking it on my phone. How does Cleveland at home manage to lose by 30 to a Tennessee team that most think will be, I don't know, 7-9 and nine or 8-8 eight and eight at best this year? What happened, and how disappointed were you with that debut? Um, well, I mean, everything started off roses, you know, first drive, you go 87 yards, uh, you know, you know, with the use score a touchdown and in typical Cleveland of late fashion, you miss an extra point because they just can't get the kicker position right either. Um, after that just became a myriad of terrible penalties. Um, you can't have 18 penalties in an NFL game and, you know, obviously expect to roll, which is a lot of people figured they were going to do. Um, you can't have your left tackle get ejected. Um, you can't then bring in your swing tackle and then have your right tackle get beat so badly on a pass pro set that it takes out your swing tackle. Now your right tackle had already given up two, uh, three pressures and two sacks. Now your right tackle has to go play left tackle. So that's pretty much falling apart. Uh, your second string running back can't finish the game. Rashard Higgins, your third wide receiver, but probably Baker's go-to guy in clutch situations, unable to finish the game. Defensively, I, I, I would... I, I know it seems weird because they put up 43 points. It, it seems weird to say it really, it's not on the defense, but with 17 minutes to go, this was a 15, 13 ball game. That's where you were at. Then came the screen to Henry that went the distance. And the one thing we've seen with Baker Mayfield is Baker. There's just the short period where he's bad. It was the first half last year against the Houston Texans through with three interceptions. First half last year against the Baltimore Ravens was wild. Then, so this came one of Baker's the wild streaks. Um, Tennessee, look, they, they're a solid defense. I think a lot of people, if they have questions about them, it's about their offense. They were able to start to drop the, you know, drop a little bit their linebackers in the zone coverage or that in you know, the safeties. They were able to cut down the windows in zone coverage, which hurts Baker. You know, uh, Baker gets accustomed, gets into a role. And sometimes when you know, he gets frustrated with that, but then he kind of keeps going to the well. I mean, you got to understand, take your back outs, take your tight ends in the flats, you know, loosen them up that way to loosen up the coverage. But, you know, sometimes when you're the gunslinger and you're just going to try to make every throw possible, you just get into those phases. But, you know, what we've had Browns players tell us is it's different from years in the past because it's not like a thing where quarterbacks in the past for Cleveland, they would get into that rut for a month. Baker can get them out south out of it quickly, but the problem is that was just the way the fourth quarter went. You throw three quarter, three fourth quarter interceptions. You commit 18 penalties. You have a player get ejected. You lose a swing tackle. It, you know, it was just a myriad of issues that just mounted up so quickly. And I think part of it was is, you know, I'm not saying they were believing in their own hype, but, you know, maybe getting smacked around may have been the best thing for them because, look, you know, nobody wins anything in March. You don't win anything in April. You don't win anything in August. You know, it, it, September is when it all starts, is when it all counts. So maybe getting bullied around a little bit is going to change the mentality of some of those guys, and maybe, you know, they're not going to necessarily read the headlines. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, it, it just sounded like one of those games where one of their perceived bigger concerns, the offensive line, really reared its ugly head, and then things compounded when you get an ejection and an injury, and then Baker you know, goes cold for a little bit, and I think even though he was so good last year, he's still a second-year quarterback, and these guys are going to be streaky from time to time. I think you know, seeing what, what happened with the Jets, I think it was the kind of game where – you know, you were sitting there in the third quarter, and they were up sixteen nothing, and you're like, huh? You know, they didn't play their best game today, but it feels like they're going to be able to get out of here with a win. So a teachable loss, that's a, that's a good thing. But whenever you get four turnovers in the first half, you think you should really blow a team out or get a bigger cushion. And you know, the defense, for as good as they were in forcing those turnovers, ultimately you know fell apart in the second half. And the offense, of course, ended up being a major letdown. And I think it was, you know, Darnold, unlike Mayfield who seemed to, you know, kind of melt down more into turning the ball over. Darnold basically sort of shelled up a little bit and was probably too conservative. And, you know, he gets out of the game with a really high completion percentage and no turnovers, but has a 4.3 yards per attempt, which is the worst in the NFL for week one. And that's all not on him. Adam Gase had a a bad game plan, to put it politely. Uh, And Darnold did miss a couple throws down the field, and Robbie Anderson doesn't come down with a few contested catches. But... You know, with these two quarterbacks, there's going to be peaks and valleys with both of them. And I think kind of similar to week one for the Jets, whatever young quarterback plays better is ultimately going to win. And Darnold was playing better up until about halfway through the third quarter. And once that flipped and Josh Allen put together two scoring drives and Darnold couldn't answer, that's when Buffalo ultimately ended up uh, taking the game overall. When you look at how the Jets match up with Cleveland, where do you think Cleveland has the biggest advantage, and where do you think that the Jets should have the biggest advantage to take, uh, to hopefully, you know, take advantage of? Um, as long as Richard Higgins and all signs, your pointing to that he should be able to play. Um, you know, if you look at Tremaine Johnson as the number one cornerback for the Jets, I, I don't know, you know, where he goes. Uh, I don't think Odell Beckham Jr. is a good matchup whatsoever in any way. Um, I just think the Browns wide receivers and now, and this may have been also part of the issue is there wasn't much done in the preseason and veteran teams. You can get away with that. Um, but he, there's real no relationship with Odell yet other than, you know, obviously summer workouts and private workouts and obviously, you know, practices, you know, through camp, but there was no real game action. So regardless, it's going to take a little time for that to gel. So I think that's going to be one of the bigger issues. I think one of Cleveland's, obviously, as you, you talked about, one of the weaknesses going into this whole year was, you know, how was the offensive line going to be? Um, you know, in obviously, you know, I was, you guys all know, you know, I follow it just as well. One of my concerns going into this year for the Jets was, yeah, they made a lot of great moves. But I'm not exactly sure where their pass rush is going to generate from. Uh, Jordan Jenkins probably had the rep of his life. Um, so can that be, you know, will the Jets be able to pick that up? Or will it be what it was, you know, last week, which will aid the Browns' offensive line? And a lot of Browns fans were getting upset over the line. The Browns are going to still start the same offensive line they start at week one. So whatever mess that turned into, for what they consider their first-string offensive line, those are the five guys that are going to start Monday night in MetLife. So I think offensive line for the Browns, hopefully, you know, sh- this week should be better, should be cleaned up. And I think it's going to be a tough time covering all of these wide receivers that the Browns have with, you know, the Jets in kind of building their cornerback room on the fly, so to speak. When you look at um, that matchup between 
the Jets' defensive line and Cleveland's offensive line. Uh, when you look at it on the other way, one of our bigger concerns has been the Jets' offensive line, and they struggled week one. It was a tough debut for Ryan Khalil. Brian Winters kind of you know, struggled being himself uh, as he's been the past few years. When you look at Cleveland's defense, you said they played pretty well week one, which I think makes sense if you look at how tight that game was late and where, uh, where some of Tennessee's points came from. Um, where do you think, from a Jets offensive perspective, that Cleveland's defense is going to give them the biggest problems? Who were sort of the, outside of the obvious, who were the key parts of that defense uh, that looked good in week one and that for a Jets team that has a weak interior offensive line, where is Sam Darnold going to have to navigate the biggest problems in this matchup? Um, I think you're going to think of Larry Ogunjobi. Um He would be the fourth player mentioned on that defensive line. Larry Ogunjobi is, is a really good player, um, certainly underrated. The thing is, is he can contribute versus the run, and he can contribute as a pass rusher. So now if you look at it, you know, and like you said, interior-wise, you know, Miles Garrett's always got to have everybody's attention. Olivier Vernon is no slouch as well. Um, then you bring in Sheldon Richardson, and look, Sheldon Richardson most likely is going to have something to prove here, or you know, and it's going to be twofold. It's going to be A, because of the Jets. It's going to be B, because he didn't really play well last Sunday and committed some dumb penalties. So you've got to think he's coming to it. So if that's where your first focuses are on those three. Um, you know, Khalil now, look, it's a great story. Um, let's see if he can keep it together and, and get through it. But Larry Ogunjobi, as much as he's country boy strong, He's, he's quick. He's got really, really good feet. And the thing is, he's a student of the game. He, he's improved every year, adds more technique to what he does. So that makes for a difficult, difficult situation with Larry Ogunjobi. That defensive line is going to be, it's going to be hard to deal with. Um, and the other thing is going to be, you know, look, I mean, Joe Schobert's had a lot of matchups with Le'Veon Bell already, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting because you can't just put there's probably not a linebacker in the league that you can really just say, all right, well, he can just take Levy, uh, you know, he, he can take Levy on every down. Joe's really good at what he does, but I mean, who are we kidding? Levy on Bell is Levy on Bell. So I'm assuming with that four, two, five and that big nickel that they're, you know, preaching now, they played two linebackers week one, both of them played 61 snaps, 100% of the snaps. The question is going to be is I, I'm thinking linebacker under. And maybe that big nickel over type of thing with Le'Veon Bell, because first and foremost, that's what you're going to have to take away from Sam Darnold. Focusing on Greg Williams' defense, you, you saw it firsthand last year. Uh, he was back in his normal element week one, playing the safety 25 yards off the ball. And to be fair, the defense played well. I thought. <laughs> we expect that. We expect that. Marcus May should have had two interceptions, had one call back and dropped another gimme. Um, this defense played well in the first two and a half quarters, you know, forced a turnover. Some of them were really, you know, more on Allen, you know, dropping a snap and doing Josh Allen things, uh, and then struggled late. How do you attack a Greg Williams defense? What's the best way to go after it? And knowing Buffalo's personnel and the Jets' personnel, what is Greg going to do uh, from a traditional standpoint that Cleveland's going to look to take advantage of? I think one of the bigger questions here and it's obviously you know is it going to be full strength because obviously there's some injuries there cj mosley quinn and williams um but the other thing that was it's a little bit different obviously than you know what brown fans are familiar with obviously you know odd front as opposed to even front in the years he played here um you got to start by running the ball i mean if you can run the ball and this is one thing you know they got away from against tennessee there were second and ones there were third and ones they were throwing the ball which is ridiculous nick chubb is a good back 
you know, go just pound out, get the first down, get yourself three first downs to work with, especially if you got all this firepower. You know, you want to take as many swings of the bat as you know as you can. So run the ball a little bit more. And the other thing is, how do offensive linemen get confidence? They get they don't get confidence through throwing the ball more than you're running it. You know, start your first quarter off. You know, call seven, eight, nine, ten runs. Let these guys see some yardage pile up. Get some confidence going for them. A, that allows you to bring play action into it. B, you're tiring out the, uh, a weak pass rush already, which should make it easier, obviously, for Baker to diagnose the field and see where it's going. they got to get the run game going a little bit more consistent this week. Nick Chubb is too good of a player to only get 17 touches, so that needs to get picked up. Um, and, you know, Odell, seven receptions for 70 and change is fine, but that is not what you went out and got him for. You went out to get Odell to make pretty much say you have a feature wide receiver to go to what you believe you have in a featured running back. And there wasn't really many deep attempts. Um, and I, I don't care if it doesn't work out. Um, I don't care if it ends up being incomplete. You got to air a couple out because the problem with Odell Beckham Jr. is you can kind of cover him if you can keep him in front of being in 10 to 12 yards. If that's all you're going to call, you're basically doing the defense in favor. You got to run these deeper routes. You got to throw them, even if they lead to incompletions, because you got to open all that up. Because look, Nick Chubb can catch the ball out of the backfield. David Najoku is a pain in the butt. Obviously, a you know, big body tight end to get loose. Jarvis Landry works the underneath well. Rashard Higgins works the underneath well. But if you're going to threaten, you know, the deep zone or any three of the deep zones, then you're just you're making it easier for Greg Williams. And, uh, you know, the one thing I, I know this is bothering Greg is Greg is, doesn't have that guy that says, well, what's my assignment on this play? Kill the quarterback. That is probably the one thing that is driving Greg Williams crazy right now at this point. Yeah, I mean, this Jets pass rush is going to be hit or miss all year. I mean, they're using sort of a interesting rotation at the edge rusher position. I think Jordan Jenkins is sort of the solid lead guy for them right now. And after that, it's sort of a mix of, you know, Terrell Bashan, Harvey Langai, Frankie Louvu, and... Uh, they really didn't get much interior pressure. It was a, a tough start for Quentin Williams, who was struggling early before he left with an injury. Uh, and Leonard Williams uh, was not too active uh, in terms of getting quarterback pressure. So I think, you know, for the Jets, they're going to have to. That's a, yeah. that's a high flip. Like, he picked it, killed him. Oh, killed yes. Him, killed him, killed him. I mean, that was a feast or famine pick when they made it. But, uh, you know, obviously they were hoping for the feast part, and that certainly was not the case. Yeah, and just not taking advantage of any of the available edge rushers on the free agency or trade market. I mean, you saw the impact that both Smiths were making for the Packers in the opener. Like, you just have to have someone off the edge who's going to consistently make the quarterback uncomfortable. And the Jets have to make Mayfield uncomfortable. And how he carved them up last year is that they just gave him far too much time and were not able to bring him down when he was moving around behind the line of scrimmage. And uh, they have to hit him and get him flustered so he has one of those cold streaks that we know he can be prone to mm-hmm. because if he throws them a couple, there's no reason the Jets shouldn't be able to stay in this game. So as it stands now, despite the Jets being at home, Cleveland's two-and-a-half-point favorites, I don't think that's overly surprising. I think preseason expectations had Cleveland at you know a 9-10 to 10 to 11-win team and the Jets at like a 7- or 8-win team. Both of them have tough losses week one, so that line sort of hangs around there. I mean, does that line make sense to you? And is that roughly your expectation and sort of Cleveland fans' expectations going into this game that, yeah, could be kind of a tough matchup because it's on the road, but this is a game that we really, quote-unquote, should win? Well, and, and talking about it all season long, I mean, if, if the, the Browns were to get the aspirations of, you know, double digits and 11 and 12, where you're talking you're actually hosting a home game, 
They need to start 2-0. and Tennessee was a winnable game. The Jets are a winnable game. But now this is after this Jets game is when you get to the tough part. You get to the Rams. Uh, you got Seattle mixed in there. This is when you're starting to play some of, you know, obviously the better competition. You kind of needed these two. And number one, just to, you know, let everybody know that the hype maybe was warranted and start to get some confidence. You know, not, not a lot of the guys, not many people on this Browns team have won anything. So they're not really accustomed to even understand what it feels like to be a better NFL team, a, a team that's expected to win week in, week out. Um, and obviously, you know, look, the Jets are in the same spot here. I mean, this is, it's, it's crazy to say that this is, you know, a huge, huge week two game for both teams, but it is. If the Browns are 0-2, they're going home to play the Rams. If the Jets are 0-2, they're headed to New England. Neither one of these teams, whoever walks out of there with a the loss, is not going to be in a good spot. I just think the Browns for, you know, look, the Jets did some things well, and then obviously it fell apart. The Browns, it was like good for like a, a hot minute, and then it sort of slowly started to melt away. Um, I also think one of the bigger things in this is going to be, and this obviously has nothing to do with the Jets, but Odell Beckham Jr. going back to that building. He can't stick it to the Giants just yet, obviously. Um, but being in that building, Monday Night Football, um, we know we're going to hear his name 675 times and all about his watch and all that other stuff because uh, we know how you know, terribly sometimes the uh, Monday Night Football broadcasts are. I think he's going to have a big one. This, I, I think he, he wants his bust-out game for Cleveland. I think he, everything in the world, want, he wants to get in that building and at least know the other tenants of that building what they did and how aggravated they made him. Uh, you know, look, Le'Veon Bell is just as easy, easily capable of dominating the game and blowing it up. But Derrick Henry, you know, the numbers were kind of miscued. A lot of those runs came later. But, I mean, in the general flow of the game, the Browns' defensive line was whipping Tennessee's offensive line. So I'm not sure Le'Veon is going to be able to get his. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be an Odell night. Yeah, I mean Odell, I think has to be, has to be uh, a major concern for the Jets here, and even you know trickling down to Landry and you know, the rest of their pass catching targets, just because what we saw of Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts struggling with John Brown and Cole Beasley, different level of receiver with Odell there, and you know the hope I think is that the Jets are wise enough not to leave Odell on an island with a guy like Tremaine Johnson at this stage of his career or even at Darrell Roberts. You know, it has to be a double team. It has to be his own situation. They don't have the horses uh, to go man personnel with how they're currently structured on the back end right now, and there's not really anyone they could call up on the depth chart who's going to make that much of a tangible difference. Before we let you go, and as you said, this is a critical game for both teams. I mean, I don't think there's a reason to sugarcoat it. If the Jets lose this game, they're going to be 0-4 because they're not winning in New England and they're not winning in Philadelphia. I'm sorry. I hope, I hope I'm wrong and I have to eat my words. Uh, so they need this one. And then for Cleveland, as you said, they have to deal with the Rams after you know a game where they're probably going to be underdogs. So what is your prediction uh, going into this Monday nighter? Um, well, of course, you know, like, like I said earlier, um, the Browns and extra points don't always work out. So, you know, I'm figuring three touchdowns, uh, two field goals, but I'll go, not, I won't go with 27. I'll go with 26 because you're not going to get all the extra points. I'm thinking about 26, 17. Um, look, both teams, I think, are able to score more points than they scored, you know, last week. You know, uh, obviously it's not much more for the Jets, but, um, look, you lost Quincy Newman today. And, you know, I understand some fans are excited about Demarius Thomas, but, you know, even with the familiarity with a- Adam Gase, you know, how much can maybe go into it? 
Um, and if you don't have, you know, I'm not, look, we're not sure on Quinn and we're not really sure on CJ Mosley, but it's not like, even if CJ Mosley's out there, it's not like that's going to be a shock. I mean, yeah, obviously the, you know, Browns have seen him plenty. They know what he's capable of. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with, you know, uh, I'm going to go with, you know, uh, 26 to 17. I think the Browns will pull it out. I just think in this case, I mean, you, you kind of just go with, there is no matchup for a star player for the Jets, and there's just no matchup for Odell Beckham. And even if they find a way to put three on up, three of them on it, three on them, then what do you do? And try to get beat by Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, Nick Chubb out of the backfield, uh, you know, Rashard Higgins. There's just too much firepower for the way this Jets secondary is currently constructed. All right, Jeff. Appreciate you taking the time for uh, joining us. Everyone, follow the Locked On Browns podcast. Um, and look, I think we're going to have an entertaining game Monday night. Uh, I would say as much as it can be at this point in the season, a must win uh, for both teams, which is kind of crazy. But look, you start 0-1, this is what happens. It's not easy to make the playoffs uh, when you're 0-2. So, Jeff, thank you again, and uh, we'll talk to you later in the season. Uh, no problem at all, Joe. And look at it this way. It's Browns-Jets on Monday night. Look how far we've come. Uh, these things used to be buried, buried away, so... Uh, let's enjoy it for the time being and hope this becomes the norm because, look, you know, Sam and Baker for both franchises, we're hoping this is going to go on for at least a decade. Please, God. Hopefully it's a positive thing on both sides and uh, <laughs> not on your side for one week, but then we can pick it up from there and uh, should be a good one. Thanks again. No problem. Anytime, guys.